There's an old saying that probably most all of you have heard at some point or another. That saying is, yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. In light of the gift-giving season, as it were, I thought it would be appropriate to start out this morning's lesson with that. Yesterday is indeed history. Philippians 3, 13, and 14 says, One thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We cannot change yesterday. Only from this moment on can we change anything. Today, right now, is truly the first day of the rest of your life. Likewise, that old saying is true in the fact that tomorrow is indeed a mystery. Matthew 6 and verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. But today, right now, today is the present. Today is a gift. Today is the gift, or not the gift, but the present. Psalm 118, verse 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Today, and each new day that you have, is a gift from God. 86,400 seconds, if my math is correct. Each day of life, what are we doing with it? Scripture says in Lamentations 3, 22 and 3, Though the Lord's mercies, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, every day is a gift. Not only has God given you and I every good thing we have, he has given us every good thing he has. John 3 and verse 16, obviously, and Ephesians 1, 3. So with the gift-giving season, as it were, upon us, today I want to talk about the gift. Not a gift, not some gift, but today I want to talk about the gift. Not a present, but the present. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The greatest gift ever given. Jesus Christ. Jesus is the priceless gift of God's eternal and endless love to us. He is the gift of peace. He is the gift of God's grace. God in the flesh, unconditional love in human form for you and I who need him so much. Unfettered forgiveness for those souls that were headed for eternal hell. Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 11 and reading through verse 13, says this. It says, Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, remember that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, 
having no hope, and without God in the world. Do we remember what that's like? Can't imagine as I look back over my life, being a Christian for these several decades, it just almost makes me want to shudder and get a chill to think of life without God and without hope. Jesus Christ, the greatest gift ever given, was given to us straight from the very depths of the heart and soul of Almighty God. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of the living God himself, put in the form of flesh and came to die for you and me. <coughs> this time of year, a lot of people think about the birth of Jesus. I am reminded that some years ago, it has been written that there was a candy maker many years ago the maker of candy canes and why they are shaped the way they are and all of that. It was said that this candy maker wanted to make a candy that would somehow symbolize Jesus Christ. So it's shaped in a J for Jesus. He wanted to make it a hard candy because Jesus is the rock of ages. The red symbolizes the blood and the white symbolizes the purity of Christ and supposedly that is why he made the candy cane. Now, there's a lot of those types of stories in secular history that float around this time of year, but this morning, I want us to take a look at the biblical aspects of the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ our Lord. Please turn to me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 1. Let's take a look at the biblical aspects of the greatest gift ever given. Luke chapter 1, we're going to begin with verses 26 through 33. Luke 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Now, it's easy for us reading over this, having heard it a thousand times, or how many ever we've heard it. It's easy to just go, yeah, okay, I know this. But think about if you were her and an angel right there. I mean, you... you take you totally by surprise. And, and what he says to her, she was troubled at this saying, it says. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This young, God-fearing Jewish girl, this young virgin, was specifically chosen by God to deliver the greatest gift ever given. Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself. All children are special. All children are special. 
They are all a gift from God, Psalm 127 and verse 3. But as special as all children are, this was not just any child. This was the gift, the Son of God. And we see a somewhat confused Mary here in verse 29. She's not really sure how to take this. Luke 2.19, according to the English Standard Version, says, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's, she's, she's mulling over them. She's trying to understand what's going on. She, she could not fully understand at this point in time. How could she? How could she? I can show you this gift. I can show you this pretty wrapped gift, but you have no idea what's in it. You have no idea what is in this box, what this wonderful gift is. And Mary, with this little baby, all she could see was the wrapper, so to speak. How could she begin to understand what was in the gift? Hebrews 1 and verse 3 tells us that Christ, again according to the English Standard Version, that Christ was the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. How could she even begin to understand that this little baby was all of that in this, this little package just by looking at this child? Jesus said in John 14 and verse 9, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Father was in the gift. John 1 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. In that little package, in that little human flesh package, that little baby, that baby was full of grace and truth. John 1 verses 14 through 17. What exactly did God pour into that little package? What did God pour into it? Into that package of human flesh, that gift to give to us? himself. The very essence of God's forgiveness and God's love and God's mercy and God's patience. But all Mary could see was the wrapper. She could not tell all that was contained in the gift, nor could she begin to imagine all that God had packed into that gift of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Colossians 2 and verse 9, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. God poured himself into that little body. Now I have a question for you. Have you ever started to unwrap a gift and you get through a little bit of the wrapping paper and, and, and you look and you, you see a little emblem on the side of the box or something and you think you know what's maybe in there but you're not really sure because somebody could have used a different box to put the gift in? And you get a little glimpse and, and you get hopeful but you're not really sure yet all that's in the package because you get just a glimpse? In similar fashion, Mary and Joseph, as, as Jesus grew, they began to get just a glimpse of what God had put in that package of flesh that dwelt among us. Luke chapter 2, we would look there and we would note beginning in verse 41 of Luke chapter 2, they were beginning to get a glimpse. It says in verses 41 through 50, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but 
Supposing him to have been in the journey, they went, I'm sorry, to been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, seeking him. You moms, can you imagine? You think your child is right there and you turn around and they're gone? You don't know where they are and they're missing for all this time? Now, so it was that after three days, verse 46, they found him in the temple. Three days. Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. You know, sometimes I wonder, I know every word of the Bible is divinely inspired and it's true. But in my humanity, sometimes it seems that maybe some of the words are a little bit of an understatement. If your child's been missing for three days, would you say, hey, we've been seeking you anxiously. <laughs> and he said to them, why did you seek me? They're getting a glimpse. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? They're beginning to get a peek of all that is in Christ. But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. I want us to understand this morning that included in this package, part of this package that was Jesus Christ is the gift of eternal life. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In that gift of Christ, there's a gift within a gift, and it is eternal life. The gift of God's amazing grace is also contained in that little package, Jesus. According to John 1 in verse 17, the grace of God came through the gift of Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to ask you to turn there, Romans 5 verses 15 through 18, that incredible gift, the word gift, is mentioned six times in four verses. Six times in four verses, it talks about this incredible gift that Jesus Christ is. Romans 5, beginning at verse 15, it reads as follows. Think of the gift. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, see we've got to receive the gift, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift, of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Because we have received that gift that he talks about there in verses 15 through 18. That's why he can say what he does in verses 1 and 2, just a little bit earlier in chapter 5, where he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal life, grace, 
peace with God. It's all part of the gift, the greatest gift ever given, Jesus Christ. God wrapped himself up in human flesh. It's part of the gift. Through whom, verse 2 of Romans 5, also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All of that was in that package. What an incredible gift, the gift. No wonder 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15 says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Everything that God held dear was done up in that fleshly wrapper and given to us. Mary and Joseph, they didn't understand it, Luke 2 and verse 51. But they're not alone in not understanding all that the gift contained. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4 and verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He said, if you understood, again, if you knew the gift of God, but she didn't, how could she understand it all? Included in that free gift was God's full, unmerited mercy for yours and my sin. That's the gift. What an incredible gift. But here's the thing. Even those of us who have sought the gift, received the gift, opened the gift, and read the instructions, we don't often understand what an incredible gift this is. Do you folks know the song over here that's got the line in it? Not... um, I won't know how much I owe till I get to heaven. Not till then will I know how much I owe. Do you know that one? Okay, we'll learn it. But I don't think that our minds really understand the full depth of what we've been given in Christ. Listen, Jesus Christ is truly not only the gift, but he is the gift that keeps on giving every day. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, continually cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Continually. This is the gift that keeps on giving. Now, quick note. I understand that the word continually is not in the translation. I understand that. But if you look at the Greek text, it's an ongoing text. It means he continually cleanses us. So I stuck the word continually in here because that's the way it's written. That's what it means. He continually cleanses us. Aren't you grateful that the last time you sinned and you confessed it to God, God put it under the blood? Aren't you grateful? Jesus Christ is the gift that keeps on giving. In our home at Christmas time, Karen and I for many years, it's a very homemade Christmas. All of the ornaments on our tree are Homemade, most all of them. Um, The decorations that are on the wall, many of them are homemade. A lot of gifts are homemade in our home. They're very highly coveted gifts. They are by far the most coveted and special. I have a cross-stitch piece that Karen did me of a a sailing ship, and every little bit of the cross-stitch that she poured hours and hours and hours of herself into, that's a very highly treasured gift. I have 
two sweaters. Both of them are absolutely beautiful and they're both unique. And what I love about them is the amount of time that Karen poured herself into making those two sweaters. One has a tag in the back that says, made with love for my hubby. That is a unique sweater. There's not another sweater on the planet that's like that one. There may be ones that have that tag, but they ain't a sweater like it on the planet. That is a priceless and unique gift. Why? Because she poured herself into it hours and hours and hours and hours making it. My grandson, for his first birthday, made him a, I'll never make another one as long as I live, okay? Is what I've said. And I probably won't. I made him a rocking horse. Red oak, those of you that work wood know how hard red oak is. It's, got, it's about this high, and it's put together with screws and glue. You can use it. Three of us, any three of us could stand on this thing, and it's not going to crumble. It's red oak. It's glued together. It's screwed together. The hours I poured into that, there's not another one like it, and it will never have a twin. <laughs> I'm telling you. Why do I say that? Why do, this isn't about me. Why do I use those illustrations? Here's why, because I want you to never forget this. Have you ever poured yourself? Poured yourself. Poured out a lot of thought and effort and planning and a very prized and unique part of yourself, your time and your effort and your energy into something extremely special for somebody. Have you ever done that? And then have them say, you know what? All that time and all that effort that you put into that thing, you know what? I don't want it. I'm not interested in it. I hate your gift. I don't want your gift. I don't want nothing to do with your gift. Your gift is awful. It's terrible. I reject your gift. That is exactly what people did to the greatest gift ever given. All that God had poured into that gift, they destroyed it, they rejected it, they said, we don't want it. Turn to me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Watch what they did to the gift. Matthew 26, we're going to begin at verse 57. Matthew 26, verse 57. Look what they did to the gift. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward and said, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And then the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He spoke and blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, you've heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And he answered and said, He's deserving of death. 
And they spat in his face and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who's the one who struck you? See what they did to the gift? All that God had poured himself into. See what they did to the gift? Luke would tell us that Jesus was then sent to Herod and they mocked him and abused him and rejected him there and treated him with contempt. And then he's returned to Pilate again and we would note Matthew 27 beginning at verse 20. What happens when he comes before Pilate? Matthew 27, 20 and following, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus? What do you want me to do with the gift of God? Said to him, let him be crucified. Governor said, why? What evil has he done? What's, what's the matter with the gift? They cried out all the more and said, let him be crucified. Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person you see to it. In one of the scariest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, verse 25, the people answered and said, his blood be on us and our children. We'll take responsibility for rejecting God's gift. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, two little words, scourged Jesus so much, ripping and tearing. He delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers, verse 27, the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole garrison around him, a whole group of them, and they stripped him, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and they had twisted a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head, a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they spat on him. You ever been spit on? There's a whole group of these Roman soldiers, and they're spitting on the gift. They're spitting on God's grace and love and mercy and forgiveness. They took the reed and they struck him on the head. It's not like a reed of grass you see beside a pond. It's not like a, like a willow. A reed here is more like a, like a, a small club. And they beat those two-inch thorns into his head, and when they had mocked him, they took the robe off and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and him they compelled to bear his cross. When they gone to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of the skull, they gave him sour wine, mingled with gall to drink, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. There they crucified him. Look at verse 46. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, alama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there, when they heard that, said, this man's calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran, took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. Or I said, let him alone, let's see if Elijah will come to save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. Earlier I said that children were a gift from God, and they are. Psalm 127, verse 3. And I suppose that some of us maybe with the 6 o'clock news and some of the things that we see and hear about, we become a little desensitized perhaps when it comes to the abuse of children. We've been so inundated with ads on TV, especially this time of year perhaps, with 
feeding starving children and we see those, those kids that are starving to death. We hear about parents abusing and aborting their children. It seems like some of those news stories hardly turn ahead anymore. However, I dare say that desensitization would end in a hurry if it was your child, wouldn't it? If it were your child that were going through some of those things I just mentioned, if it was your son or daughter, if it was your grandchild who was all of a sudden missing or abducted or abused or worse, you wouldn't be desensitized to that, would you? I wouldn't. If it was my kid. How many mothers, as I said, have gone shopping and all of a sudden turn around and their child is nowhere, nowhere to be seen? They may be just around the corner, but that three seconds it takes you to find them, ladies, don't it seem like about three years? They're some of the most terrifying moments of your entire life. When it is your child that's going through it, it is nothing short of terrifying and there is nothing, nothing that you would not do to stop your child's suffering, to have your child back and safe and sound with you immediately. There's nothing that you would not do. Listen to me carefully, knowing that. What do you think was going through God's mind when they were abusing your son? This is personal. This is God's son. What do you think was going through God's mind when they were doing everything to Jesus that we've just read about? That's his son. What do you think was going through God's mind? Based on scripture, I have an educated guess. I think I know. I could be wrong, but I think I know. Based on scripture, particularly Isaiah chapter 53, I think I know what God was thinking. God was thinking about you. Eric Bond, Karen Dingley, Johnny Cobb, anybody else in the group? You see, this plan to send Jesus to the cross has always been about you right from the very beginning. You and me, all of us, but I want you to take it personal. This plan to send Jesus to the cross and everything he went through has always about, been about cleansing your sin and saving your soul from before the dawn of day one. It's always been about you and me. You. You. Weston. You, Amanda. You, Wendy, you, all of you, and me. You are the reason that God poured himself into the gift. You are the reason that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus didn't come down here for vacation because he had no place else to go. You are the reason the gift was given. You are the reason he was hung on a tree and had to die that death. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's not so much that Jesus came as it is why he came that is the biblical focus. We need to remember that. It's not Jesus' birth that's ultimately important. But his death, burial, and resurrection, anybody, oh, all of us have been born, but not all of us could die, be buried, and resurrect ourselves. That's where the power is. 
Jesus' whole and only reason for coming into this world was so he could go to the cross. I know that the world celebrates his birth this time of year, but the birth was just a means to the end. John chapter 12, verses 27 and 8, the whole reason he had to be born was so that he could grow up and grow up so that he could die and, and die so that he could be resurrected because that's where the power is. That's the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. His birth was only a means to an end. You see... We have the privilege of celebrating that each first day of the week. We don't have to wait for once a year. We do it in accordance with what Jesus said in Luke 22, 17 through 20. Do this in remembrance of him. We do it on the first day of the week, Acts 20 and verse 7. We remember Jesus the way he told us to. And we get to do it 52 times a year. Isn't that awesome? It's better than once a year, right? Then we celebrate the gift. You see, the power of our Christianity and the assurance of our hope is not and has never been about what the world celebrates once a year, but what the Word of God tells us to celebrate once a week. And I am so grateful to be a Christian. The power of our Christianity and the assurance of our hope is not and has never been about presence of ours placed under a tree, but the very presence of God nailed to a tree. That's where the power is. The power and assurance of our hope is not a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths in a crowded manger but it's about the discarded burial cloths on the floor of an empty tomb. That is where the power is. 49 days after his discarded and no longer needed burial cloth that was just found laying there, Peter told the people on Pentecost all that Jesus had done. He said, look, this is what the gift is all about. And he said, you can have that gift. You can have all those things God poured into the gift of Jesus Christ. You can have every beautiful blessing of God's wonderful gift of love and forgiveness because that was God's plan from the very beginning. Final scripture chapter of the morning, turn to Acts 2. Peter said, God's always planned to give you this incredible gift. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24, Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being delivered. The gift was delivered, people. By the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God had been planning this. I don't know how long Karen had planned to make that sweater and give it to me. Maybe a couple of years. But God has been planning to give us this gift of Jesus since before time began. By the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that gift, he said, you've rejected. You've taken him by lawless hands, crucified him, and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible he should be held by it. When they ripped up the wrapper and they beat up his body, it's all just part of the plan for God to unveil all the elements that were on the inside, all of the love and the forgiveness and all of the eternal life that we could have if we would just accept the gift. They could bang up his body, they could rip up the wrapper, but there was no power on earth that could destroy what was in the gift of Jesus Christ for you. No power on earth could destroy it. No power on earth can destroy it. They could do whatever they wanted to and all they affected was the wrapper, but the gift is still there for you and me. All they did was set his spirit free from the wrapper that had earlier confined it, and now it's a free gift for all who will receive it. Verses 36 through 38 of Acts chapter 2. 
these people realize that what they've done to the gift. And it says there, end of Peter's sermon, verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What are we going to do? Peter says, you've got to receive the gift. What Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and everything that goes with it, the entire gift of forgiveness, everything was theirs. In verses 39 through 41, he goes on to explain that they can have their sins taken care of and it says that all of them that were ready to receive that gift were baptized that day. Why? Because that's how you receive the gift. If I go to give you a gift or a present and I say to Eric, because he's sitting close to me, Eric, you've got to take this, but I'm not moving to the spot. You need to come and get it. If he really wants it, he'll come and get it. If he don't want it, he won't. God is holding out that gift of eternal life, that gift of Jesus to you this morning. He's holding out that gift of forgiveness, and God is saying, I placed the gift right here. You need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's where the gift of forgiveness is. That's where the gift of mercy is. I put it all right there. Do you trust me enough? to step out of that aisle and to come to me and get the gift that I have for you. If you have already done that and received that gift by repenting and being baptized, then let me ask you this. Is the gift in a very prominent public place in your home? Do you display the gift that you have received daily in your homes and in your lives and in your heart? Is the priceless gift of love from God evident in the form of the fruit of the Spirit that you display in your daily life? Do others see Jesus living in you, his grace and his mercy and his love? Do they see the gift? Do they see that you've got the gift of Jesus Christ? The gift. And if you felt bad a few minutes ago when I threw this package here and I ripped it up and tore it up and threw it, what do you think God's going to say on the Day of Judgment when this people done that to his son? He said, I don't want the gift. If you're here this morning and you've never received that gift through your obedience to the gospel, you need to do that. Do not stand before God and for whatever reason tell him you rejected his gift. It's too precious. It's too precious. Receive the gift of eternal life. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then go on to live a new life displaying that gift in your everyday life and in your home and in your heart. Do not tell God you're not interested in his gift. This morning, if you have a need, 